Now, our Bible reading this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read just a short portion, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through to 12, which is really Paul's prayer uh, for the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, reading, of course, from the authorized verse. If you find the place, it's good to turn to the scriptures, see the words, hear them. It's good to mark your Bible. Think about what you've just read. Give yourself to meditation. All of these things play a role when we come to read the scriptures. The Bible exhorts us to give attention to reading, so let's do that. Let's hear God's word. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this cause we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, as we continue our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians, I want us to consider Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, at least the first part of the verse. It reads as follows, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So there's the text for today, First Colossians 10 and the first part of the verse, we'll call it A. And we're thinking of the theme now, praying to walk worthy of the Lord. Two weeks ago, we looked at verse 9. We thought about Paul praying for the church at Colossae, praying that they might know the will of God, be filled with the knowledge of that will and wisdom and spiritual understanding. We thought about how Paul uh, heard from Epaphras, one of his own converts and a faithful minister of the church at Colossae, once he informed Paul about their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all the saints and their sure and certain hope of heaven and how certain false teachers had come with certain false teaching and how it was impacting on the life of the believers there, Paul and those with him gave themselves to prayer for this church. Isn't that what we have already read? He says in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof we heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And then he says in verse 9, For for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul's prayer 
is included in the first chapter of the letters. But Paul's prayer is what we've read. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 12. That's one of Paul's unique, wonderful prayers for the people of God in the New Testament. And I would encourage you to read it. I would encourage you to think about it. I would encourage you even to recite the words uh, before the Lord uh, for yourself and for the work of God in general. These are the things that Paul specifically prayed for the church. This prayer, I believe, is unique, and this prayer is recorded for our learning. And we we, uh, discovered two weeks ago that it's a prayer about a true spiritual principle. The whole prayer is full of a true spirituality, a true spiritual prosperity for the people of God. Nothing wrong with praying about material things or, or physical needs, but Paul knows that spiritual needs are more important. So he focuses primarily on the spiritual needs of the people. And we said there was a ministry here praying for one another, praying for spiritual prosperity. We talked about a testimony here because remember, this is a sign that you're born of God, that you have this desire to cry, Abba, Father, unto the Lord. And we also said there's a constancy here. Paul says, did not cease from the day he heard about their faith and heard about what was happening in the life of the church. He gave himself to prayer. What we thought about a prayer about spiritual progress. As Paul prayed, he'd one overarching theme in his mind for God's people. He was thinking, what is God's goal for the people at Colossae? What's God's goal for us now? And that is to make spiritual progress, to, to exhibit growth in the Christian life. The, the Christian life is about making spiritual progress It's also a prayer about a true spiritual pathway because at its heart, he was praying that they might know the will of God. And we thought about the importance of God's will. We thought about interpreting God's will as revealed in the book. We thought about having an insight into God's will, the extent of it. It's being filled with a knowledge of it. We think of the words here, knowledge, wisdom, and spiritual understanding. So there's an acquisition, an appropriation, and an application of the truth. We thought about the impact of knowing the will of God, of being filled with that as far as one's character and one's conduct is concerned. Now, the second thing we learn about this prayer is this. It's a prayer to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. You see, being filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, it's not an end in itself. The prayer doesn't end at verse 9, does it? It's not as if all the people of God in Colossae needed was the knowledge of his will. There's more to the prayer. Look at verse 10. That. Now that word that in the English language is a demonstrative. In other words, here's the purpose. The knowledge of his will is vital. It's important. But it's connected to a true spiritual principle as we make progress along a certain pathway. So the will of God, knowing it, is not an end in itself. It leads to something. It leads to a life of true godliness, with the goal being to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. See, there's no walking worthy of the Lord without the knowledge of his will, without being filled with that knowledge, without having wisdom and spiritual understanding. But the knowledge of his will, you see, always leads up to 
and directs us to aspire, to an aim to do something. And what is it? To walk worthy of the Lord. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. So this is a prayer not only for a knowledge of his will, but a prayer that we might walk worthy of the Lord. Three things as I thought about verse 10. And as I open it up this morning, I want to point out that many preachers just take the prayer as a whole. Now that's fine, but they skip over so much. There's so much missed out. So we're going to take our time to dissect the prayer. And then I, I trust you have a better understanding of what it is. Think of the simple image that is presented, that you might walk. Now we'll pause there. The simple image that's presented, that you might walk. Think of the simplicity here. Notice the verb, walk. It's a doing word. It's not easily understood. Even the children here, even the young people can grasp this sinful Simple metaphor of a walk. What does it mean? Well, we take a walk, do we not, for exercise? We, we say to one another, maybe husband to wife, maybe parents to children, um, are you going for a walk this afternoon or, or this evening? That is, you're, you're going from point A to B. You're going from your home, a certain route, back again. And of course, people who are familiar here with Carrie Duff know all about the four-mile walk. And you could start at the bottom of Alveston or start at the bottom of the Killingure Road and you can walk right up and go through um, uh, Killingure Road West and down past Cyril Johnson's and then down the Balnehinch Road and on the Church Road and back up again to Killingure uh, Road and up to Alveston uh, Park. That, that's called the four-miler. Now, now, I'll give you a, a little uh, thought here. I have never, in the 22 years I've been here, I have never done the four-miler. And you're going to say, shame on you. I remember once walking up to the little porta cabin from my house, which is only half a mile, and I thought I was going to need the ambulance to get back down again. Uh, because I, I'm, I'm not really a, a fit person. I, I skipped out in PE whenever PE uh, was at school. But you're familiar with the concept. You see, there's a simplicity here. Some men or women who have dogs will uh, say to the dog, uh, would you like to go walkies? And they hold the lead and the dog's at the door and it's jumping up and down and the tail's wagging. And the dog's familiar even with it. You see, there's a simplicity here. We, we say to one another, lovely day for a walk if you're on the beach. Maybe down about Castle Rock, Port Rush, Port Stewart. You see, the Apostle Paul is using a very simple image, a very simple metaphor, and he is using it about living out the Christian life, that ye might walk. And isn't it interesting that there's three times in the New Testament that the same image is used? Let me just give you the references. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherein or wherewith ye are called. And then over in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And here in Colossians 1, verse 10, the very same words, walk worthy 
will come to mind. Now, we'll come to the word worthy in a bit. It's an adjective. It describes the verb. The idea is that when we walk, we're walking worthy unto something. Let's remember we're living in an ungodly world. Colossae was a pagan place, full of pagan ideas and pagan beliefs. Uh, and, and, and here's the people in Colossae and they're living in this sinful, ungodly environment. And, and sometimes we ask the question, well, is it possible to walk with God in such an ungodly, sinful environment? Is it possible to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing? And the answer is yes, because that's what Paul prayed for. And he was praying as he was prompted by the Holy Spirit for these people. And then we could give Old Testament examples. Think of Enoch. Think of Noah. We read that Noah walked with God, having found grace in his sight. We read about Enoch, that, that he walked with God after Methuselah was born. You see, Enoch, remember, had a testimony. Not only did he walk with God, but that he pleased God, and God took him home to heaven. See, every day, these two Old Testament believers, they walked with God, and they did it carefully. They did it constantly. I believe they did it consistently. And they, and they walked step and step with the Lord. You see, the word walk is clear. It's a simple image. It's a simple metaphor. But it's put here for the whole of the Christian life. It's a common biblical figure for Christian conduct and behavior. So there's a simplicity here. I want to tell you there's a start here that you might walk. You see, every walk is a starting point. The four-miler has a starting point. There's a beginning implied with the word walk. There was a time, a date, an hour, when we started, like Enoch, like Noah, to walk with God. And if there was a time for Enoch to walk with God and a time for Noah to walk with God, then what is true physically has to be true spiritually. You, you think of when a little child is born, and there's a day and time for that birth to take place. And then what happens? It begins to walk physically. The, the, the child takes the first baby steps. Some of you can remember when you were babies. Your mothers can remember exactly the date and time and the place where you took your first step. You, you could ask them. They'd say, oh, yes, yes, that, that, that's what happened. And they might have a film recording. They might have a, a, a picture to prove it. I was down in Ferndale the other day. I was speaking to Mrs. Rachel Lowe. She had her son, Jonathan, out in the yard. And uh, he, he's taking his first steps. And we were saying, oh, he's walking now. And of course, it's lovely to see because it's, it's speaking of progress. And what is true physically has to be true spiritually. Everyone who walks with God, whether it was Noah, Enoch, or you and I, that walk had to have a beginning, a supernatural, spiritual beginning. And it took place when we we're born again of the Holy Spirit. See, see, the Apostle Paul's not praying for the unsaved here, that they might walk. He's not praying that they'll be good. He's not praying that they'll do the best that they can. He's not praying that they'll be religious. He's praying for those who are already walking with God, that ye might walk. He knows that that walk had a beginning. They were already true believers. They had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ. So I press home the message. Was there a day, a time in your life when you were born again of the Holy Spirit and you felt this urge and this desire to, to begin to, to walk with God? See, there's not only a simplicity here, but there's a start here. Could I tell you something else? There's a spirituality here that you might walk. If you turn over there to Romans 
chapter 8, and we'll read together in verse 1, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. It'll come up on the screen for those who are watching online. Listen to the words. There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's the key. Who walk. See? Not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, when he was dealing with the former life, said this, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, dead to God, a dead will, a dead understanding, a dead affections. Notice verse 2, Ephesians 2 and 2, Where in time past ye walked, how? According to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of a disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You see, in former times, before we converted, we walked after the flesh, not after the spirit. We walked after the course of this world, after the patron. We, 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 we walked after the um, prince of darkness. We, we lived under his control. But now, according to Ephesians 6 and verse 4, what do we learn there? That we, we walk in newness of life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, For we walk by faith, and not by sight. You see, God in his grace has come and he has regenerated us. He has renewed us so that we can walk in newness of life, Romans 6 and 4. We've got a new will now. We've got a new mind. We've got new affections. And he imparts to us that new spirituality. And this is what he says that he'll do for us. If you take the analogy from the book of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36, and we read over there in verse 26 these words, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments, and ye shall do them. You see, I will cause you to walk, because I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. You see, once we're convicted of our sin, and converted to Christ and truly cleansed from every sin, it leads to a life of total consecration unto the Lord. It's the very opposite of the walk of the natural man. And this walk of faith, as we've already said, begins at true conversion. And we no longer walk according to the course of this world. We no longer walk according to the mindset of the devil. Why? Because we've now been made spiritually alive. And if you link this up with Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, notice what it says there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. It makes this interesting statement. And as ye therefore, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You see, it's not a carnal thing, it's not a casual thing, it's highly spiritual. So there's a spirituality here. Notice something else, and I'd be quick. There's a steps here. The Bible says in Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. See, every step we take on this spiritual journey to heaven and home, we must take 
in line with God's statutes. Ezekiel 11 and 20 says that, that they may walk in my statutes. That, that is, that we walk in line with the word of God. We, we take seriously to heart all that God says. If you think of somebody who's walking the narrow pathway, and what would you say to them, husband and wife, out for a walk, maybe along a cliff fate somewhere? What would you would say, watch your step there. You're thinking of pitfalls. You're thinking of potholes. You're thinking of the need to walk very carefully. And you see, when we walk in line with the word of God, bearing in mind what God has said, then that will impact young people on the places we go. That will impact in the things that we do. That will impact on the things that we say one to another. It will govern our conduct, our behavior. It will govern our character. You see, we're different now. Life is different now. We're, we're going in a different direction now. Why? Because we're now living in line with God's word. And you see, the problem today in modern 21st century Christianity is that many have a, have a form of religion, a form of godliness. They, they profess that the root of the matter is in them. But they know nothing of a life walking with God. And the danger is that they may not be truly regenerate. They may not be really born again of the Holy Spirit. They haven't been inwardly changed. They have no real heart desire for God's will. They have no heart desire for God's way. They have no heart desire for God's word. They're certainly not walking in line with his statutes. They're not bearing in mind that every step that I take must be in line with the word of God. That They're not having a heart for God's worship. Walking with God daily, carefully, consistently, in a passionate manner. Well, we asked the question, well, where is that individual following hard after God in his will, his way, his word, his worship, his walk? You see, many who profess the name of the Lord, they've turned aside from following hard after the Lord. Many have even turned back. Many have turned away, became apostates. Walking with God isn't a hardship. It's not a burdensome thing. It's not drudgery. It's a blessing. It ought to be a delight. We're on a journey. And I have started. Uh, you, you have to think of the entrance. And the entrance, of course, is faith in Christ. You've got to think of the environment. We're living in an ungodly, hostile world. And we ask, can I walk with God in an ungodly, sinful world? And the answer is yes. Enoch did. Noah did. You think of the old world before the flood. A world of hatred and hostility to God and the things of God. Yet we can walk with God. And that's what we sang about in Psalm 119 verses 1 to 8. It was about the blessed man walking with God in the ways of God by the word of God. You see, we live in a world where there's an assault in the sanctity of human life. You think of the push today for abortion. Abortion is really the murder of the unborn in the womb. You, you think of euthanasia, and they're pushing for that uh, in the Republic of Ireland, and they're also going to push for that to be introduced here in Scotland and 
England and Wales and Northern Ireland. You think of the assault today and the sanctity of marriage. Is there not a push for same-sex marriage, common law marriage? Just live together, even though the Bible says flee fornication. Now, that doesn't matter. Is there not an assault today in the freedom of speech? You think of the hate laws that have been introduced in Scotland that could be introduced here in Northern Ireland. Is there not an assault on biblical worship, an assault on the Lord's day, an assault on spiritual truth, an assault on true womanhood? I was interested in reading a story about an assault on a stay-at-home mum. She gets up at 4.30, her husband goes to work after 5, she makes him coffee, she packs a lunch, and she kisses him goodbye in the cheek. What's wrong with that? Well, well, she was criticised. She was laughed at. It was even on Australian TV. And they were having a real giggle at the, at, at the absurdity of this here. And this woman has four children. And, and she was dressed in the morning. And they were saying, well, how could she look like that? You see, there is this assault today. If you're not part of the, the left-wing feminist lobby and you believe in biblical womanhood, then there's something wrong. There's an assault on true Bible belief in religion. You think of the, the cults and false religion and false teachers that are abound today. And the psalmist was very familiar with every false way. And in fact, if you look at Psalm 119 with me for a moment, he says there in verse 126, he says this, Psalm 119, verse 126. This is what he says. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. Why? For they've made void thy law. Therefore, in light of the fact that they've made void thy law, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. You see, here's his holy resolve. He's in step with the word of God. And we and I, you and I need to make that holy resolve before the Lord that I'm going to walk with the Lord and I'm going to walk to the end of my days until the Lord brings me home to heaven. And I'm going to walk daily and constantly and carefully and consistently. I put that to you, that that's the simple image that's being presented here. It's simply a walk. It's sublimely spiritual, and it's walking in step with the Lord, and it starts with faith in Christ. Notice very quickly, secondly, this scriptural instruction that is proclaimed. Look again at our text. Notice what it says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. You see, the Apostle Paul sets forth a supreme majestic standard that governs this walk. We're not only to walk with God, but we're to walk worthy of the Lord. The Christian life is a spiritual walk that is worthy of the Lord. What does that word worthy mean? Now we're coming back to it. It's an adjective. It doesn't mean that you're worthy of the Lord's favor. It's not that you're worthy of the Lord's merit or, or that you've earned a blessing or, or that you've earned a praise or you've earned a reward, that you've done good, that you've earned favor. It doesn't mean that. And I want to make that clear. So I trust you'll understand that. It doesn't mean earning favor or a blessing or a reward for the Lord. The word worthy means fitting, suitable, becometh. Let me show you in the New Testament how it is used. Philippians 1 verse 27, 
It says there, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. The word becometh is the same Greek word that is translated worthy. So, so you can see that. Suitable. A life that is befitting, that's worthy, that, that becomes the gospel in a certain manner. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 2, there's mention of a lady in the New Testament and her name is Phoebe. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sinchia, that ye receive her in the Lord as become of saints. Do you see that? It's the same word. They're not to receive Phoebe in order to become saints. They're to receive Phoebe as become of saints in a manner that's befitting saints. Can you see that? Literally, receive her dutifully, receive her delightfully, receive her suitably, appropriately, wisely, worthily. Why? Because she bears the name of the Lord. I, I was thinking about a fitting illustration to tie into this point and uh, Sammy and I was talking through the week and I sort of call him Sergeant Sammy because he, he was in the army uh, and um, I, I was thinking about somebody who's a major I don't know all the ranks somebody who's a colonel um, somebody who's a general uh, I don't know the order of preference somebody who's a lieutenant but, but a certain rank it doesn't matter what the rank is they're expected because they're a member of the armed forces the army, the, the navy or the royal air force that they have to live in a certain way there's a certain code there's a certain standard in other words because they're in the army belong to the armed forces then they're expected to live a life of integrity a life of honesty a life of purity a life of respect for people and things especially because they're in the public eye you think of a soldier somebody who's in the air force somebody who's in the navy and they're they're getting a disciplinary hearing and one of the charges and this is true in every case doesn't matter what the charge is, of conduct unbecoming an officer. That's one of the charges that's laid. So if they've stole something, or they have told a falsehood about something, not only are they told, well, you're, you're lying here, or you're guilty of stealing, but they're also charged with conduct unbecoming an officer. You see, it's military language. How they live reflects how people think of the armed forces. And if they live sinfully and badly in a way, people will not think well of or speak well of their armed forces. In other words, it breeds disrespect. And that's what Paul is getting at. Live with such a high view of God in your heart and mind so that it becomes the Lord. So it's worthy of him. Take in mind the Lord's person, who he is and what he is like and what he's done. Take in mind the Lord's presence. Lo, I'm with you always. Take in mind the fact that he's with you, but he's watching over you. Take in mind the Lord's pardon. All your sins are under the blood. Take in mind the Lord's peace. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Take in mind the Lord's purpose. Your chief aim and goal in life is to glorify him and enjoy him. Take in mind the Lord's plan for your life. The Lord's precepts, the rule books, the holy scriptures. You so live so that the Lord is well spoken of, well thought of. 
so that people by your conduct, by your character, do not speak ill of him. Do not speak ill of him because of the way we live out. Remember when David sinned, one of the charges that Nathan brought to him was that, that it give a cause and occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme. So that God will not be belittled. So that God will not be blasphemed. So, so how we live in the home, how we live in school, in the workplace, in our character, in our conduct, in our conversation, we've got to ask ourselves, does this behavior speak well of Christ? Do you see how highly practical it all is? I believe that biblical Christianity is nothing if it's not highly practical. Every one of us this morning who professes faith in Christ, we must live with a view to practice that faith in such a way as it becomes the gospel, in such a way that it's worthy of the Lord. Think of the word, of the Lord. In other words, the source of this, the wisdom, the power, the strength, the help that's needed, it's not something in and of ourselves. It's not by our own power or ability or our own natural possession. It's, it's by the grace and help of the Lord. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can do all things as a tremendous boast, but it would be untrue. I can do all things, how? Through Christ. And those that are in Christ will live for Christ through the strength and grace of Christ. It's not anything else or anyone else. It's the Lord. And we'll not walk with him until we have received him as Lord. And we'll not walk worthy without the Lord. So we ask the question, searching as it is, is my life, my Christian life, my walk worthy of the Lord? Is this really appropriate for me? Is this right for me? Should I be saying this? Should I be in this place? Should a born-again Christian be in the nightclubs and dance halls of the world? Should a born-again Christian be doing this thing or that thing? Is it worthy of the Lord? Is that not the rule of thumb? If in doubt, leave it out. Is this behavior right? Is this speech right? The Bible says, let no filthy communication come out of your mouth. And we're going to deal with that next week in the children's talk. Things that are said that are sinful and hurtful to the, the hearts and minds of many people who are struggling with issues like this. Is this way of living? My private devotions, my family devotions, my times of prayer, my Bible reading, is it worthy of the Lord? You see, we're living in glad submission to him. We're allowing his word to govern our conduct and our character. It's not merely Jesus. He doesn't say Jesus. Walk worthy of Jesus. No, walk worthy of the Lord. You see, he's bringing into view the, the lordship of Christ. If he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. He said, why do you call me Lord and Master if you do not the things that I say? We must live our lives, our Christian life, doing what the Lord wants us to do. It's connected to our walk in worthy of him. We're convinced in our heart and mind. We have a, 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 we're full of a strong desire. That's the key to a life of youthfulness. That's the key to a life of service. See, many have started out well but ended up making shipwreck. Is not true of Lot, sea of man, but backslidden for years. A man who was 
cut to the heart by the godless age and the godless talk in which we live. Yet he had little or no testimony among family. He was one that mocked when he warned them about wrath to come. Think of Peter for a time, failing the Lord, denying him with oaths and curses. Think of Saul. Remember, he was rebuked by Samuel. He was told to obey as better than sacrifice. He offered thousands of sheep and animals. But, but from there, he went downhill. Why? Because he forgot the principle. It's not about offering the sheep and the animals. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's vain. Unless you're really obeying the Lord and walking in fellowship with him. I want you to see, lastly, and we'll, we'll finish with this, the standardized impact that is pictured. Notice the words here, as we finish, unto all pleasing. See, here's the extent. That ye walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Now notice the massive scope. You see, that involves every aspect of this walk of faith. The modern versions, and I deplore the modern versions, that they have walk worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. But that's not the meaning. It's wider than that. It's deeper than that. It's greater than that. It's that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So you think of the impact, the extent, the whole of the life at home. See, true Christianity must make us a better father, a better mother, must make us better children. When we're closed our doors in the privacy of our home with all our sins and failures to glare because we're not perfect. And we must learn to confess them and put them under the blood. But remember, we're living out the Christian life at home. And doesn't Paul bring this in? He says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20 to the children, he, he, he says this, children obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Children obeying your parents, that's well-pleasing unto the Lord. You can please him. What about school? Our attitude to the teacher, our classmates, where our moral character and conduct is, is, is evident for, for them to see. What about the workplace, employee, employer relationship? Are we trustworthy? Are we reliable? Are we honest? Are we good timekeepers? When we're enjoying recreation, are we walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing? Notice who is pleased here. First of all, it has to be the Lord himself. It's a pleasing of the Almighty. The Lord is at the center. First and foremost, we're living to please him. We're living under his eye. Is the Lord pleased with this behavior, this activity? Yes. Let him be your delight, the Bible says. Let him be your dread. We're living to please God. Is the Lord pleased with every action, our attitude, our announcements, our activities, our asking? As I've already said about the modern versions, it's just walk worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, but that's not the meaning. Paul includes the Lord, but it's not only the Lord. What about pleasing fellow saints? Do they not rejoice when they see us walking worthy of the Lord? Do they not give praise to God? But what about the unconverted? Do they see Christ in us reflected? So often we hear the words, well, if you're a Christian, I want nothing to do with Christianity. The Bible teaches us that we're not to render evil for evil. But we're, we're exhorted to do good to all men, especially there, the household of faith. We're to do other people good. We're to live in 
links in the chain. We're to live differently so that the unconverted can praise and glorify God, even though they mightn't fully understand. They can see that we're different. It's unto all pleasing. It's not only the Lord, the fellow saints, the minister of the gospel, the elders, but but it even reaches down to the unconverted person in the home, in the school, in the workplace. That's the extent. Here's the standardized impact of the picture. Yes, there's spiritual instruction. But remember this simple image that's being pictured here. And I pray today that we learn to pray for ourselves and one another that we might walk worthy of the Lord. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to us as we further deal with this prayer.